Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here at Incarnation. And if you have been following along with us for the last few weeks, then you know we've been in a sermon series on prayer. We've been working our way through the acronym in this little book called How to Pray by Pete Gregg. He uses the acronym PRAY, which is P for pause, R for rejoice, and Liz got both of those letters in the last couple of weeks. And then A for ask is what comes this week. So kids at home and also grown-ups at home, I would invite you to think about a time that you asked God for something that maybe felt a little bit silly, like a little bit extravagant or even strange. And you might want to write it down, you might want to journal about it, you might want to draw it, but I want you to hold on to that thing that you asked for And then maybe later today, over dinner or at bedtime, you could share about what that weird thing was and what happened when you asked. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about asking today. And as we do, what I hope to do is just like remove some of the clutter that hangs around our prayers of asking. I want to invite us into a more simple, more childlike way of praying I want to remind us that we are children and that God is our Father. And that means that like children, we can come and tug on his shirt tail, we can come and tap him, and we can ask again and again and again. Sometimes we ask for big important stuff, and sometimes we ask for small stuff. Most of the time we're asking for small stuff. But it's that asking, that tugging, that constant connection with God that becomes the place that grows and changes us. And so I want to tell a story about asking. And it happens about seven or eight years ago, and it was at Huntley Meadows Park in Alexandria, which is just a beautiful place to go and pause and rejoice and ask. But I was there with my kids. They were much younger then. And there's this one spot where you can look out over the marsh And as we were doing that, my son was in a stroller, so he was really little. And we saw way out at the other end of the wetlands this snowy egret, which you might not be a bird nerd like me, but a snowy egret is a beautiful all-white member of the crane family, very graceful, and it was looking in the water, looking for fish. And my son was just mesmerized. He wouldn't take his eyes off this bird. And so we stood there for a long time, watching this egret. And then, like birds do, at some point, it just got up and flew away. And John was so sad. He really wanted to watch that bird some more. And this is when he was pre-verbal, so he didn't yet have words. He wasn't a very good talker. But we had been learning some ASL signs together so that he could communicate with us. And so he just started signing, more bird more bird. He just wanted that bird to come back. And my daughter Nadia said, look, John is praying. He's asking God for more bird. Let's pray with him. Okay, so if you can just pause that scene and then kind of zoom into my inner monologue, I was thinking so many things when she suggested that. I was thinking, ah, I really don't want to pray that because God is big and holy, and he's kind of busy, like governing all of creation, and he's got so much stuff to worry about, like 
refugees and poverty and injustice and all the people who haven't heard of him and all the division in his church. I just don't want to ask about this bird. And I was also thinking, I don't want to ask this publicly with my kids because I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to crush their little hearts of faith that want to ask for more bird. I don't want them to expect too much from God and then just have their hopes dashed. So all of that's happening in my head. And now if we can kind of come back into the scene, because I'm a mom, despite all of that internal hesitation, I said to Naya, sure, let's pray. And we held hands and we probably said something like, hey God, you saw what John wants. Could you send more bird, please? Amen. And we stood there for a while, and we kept watching, but no more bird came. And so eventually we headed back toward home. There's this path through the woods, takes us back to the car. And about 10 minutes into our walk, we were on this spot on the path where there's greenery on both sides, pretty dense. And all of a sudden, out of that greenery, up flies this snowy egret. And it paused for a second in front of John's stroller, like so close that he could have reached his little hand out and touched it. And then it flew off. And it was breathtaking. It was really, really amazing. It felt like for just this moment, we had gotten to be part of God governing the egrets. And it didn't feel frivolous at all. It felt like we were participating in the joy of heaven. And I think that is the kind of asking that Pete Gregg is inviting us into in this book. Asking prayers that are less sophisticated and more honest about what we really want God to do. Prayer that turns down the noise of that internal monologue that stops filtering and censoring and trying to be so grown up about it. Prayer that doesn't worry about whether the things we're asking for or our motives or our hearts or our words aren't good enough to bring in front of him. This prayer that just recognizes God as God. He's in charge of the universe and we are just kids. So we can ask. We can just ask. Now, obviously, God doesn't always say yes to what we ask for. He doesn't always send more bird. I have lots and lots of stories of heartbreak I could tell from the other side of that equation. But all of those no's and not yet's, and even the pain that comes in that asking and hearing God say no, or hearing him just wait and say nothing, even when it's bitterly disappointing, that asking space is still the place where he changes me. And Eugene Peterson talks about prayers as tools. He says, unlike most tools, these aren't tools for doing or for getting. Prayers are tools for being and becoming. And so this asking God for what we need and what we want, for ourselves, for our neighbors, for the world, just asking again and again over a lifetime, that is how we be and become who we really are. And who we really are is God's children. We are adopted into this family through the cross of Jesus, and we are growing up in this household. And then we are reaching out and bringing more people into this family. 
Well, we saw that kind of being and becoming in the story from Matthew's Gospel that I read a couple of minutes ago. The story takes place in the region of Tyre and Sidon, which in the Jewish mind is like where the bad people live. It's where the unclean people live, the Gentiles, the people who are outside of God's family. And this Gentile woman starts yelling at Jesus from far off. She starts asking him to heal her daughter. And as a mother, I felt this. I know the desperation of asking God to heal one of my kids. But Jesus doesn't respond at first. And after a while, his disciples get pretty annoyed with her, and they ask her to just or they ask Jesus to send her away. And he gives them what seems like kind of a non-answer. He just reminds his disciples that he is on this rescue mission to the Jewish people. But then the woman comes over. She kneels down. She keeps asking. She gets even more annoying. And Jesus says something really offensive. He pulls out this really ugly old slur for the Gentiles. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In other words, why should I take everything that God has promised his family for generations and give it to you, to a Gentile? Well, I don't want to spend too much time agonizing over this line of Jesus's and whether it is really as insulting and insensitive as it sounds, But if you want to wrestle more with that, please email me. I would love to dig into that. But I will say this. We know from the rest of Scripture that Jesus is not sexist. He is radically pro-woman. And we know that he's not racist. He is radically pro-Gentile. He is not afraid of being contaminated by unclean people. And he wants God's salvation to go out to everyone, not just the Jews. So something else is happening here when he says this line. And I want to suggest, and we can't know, that Jesus responds this way, the way a teacher would respond to their most promising student, where they become intentionally provocative to draw out the student's argument, to really test its merit, to see how much they understand. And I would suggest that he does it publicly when she gets close and the disciples can hear so that they learn what he has to say. And this woman responds with this really incredible statement of humility and belief. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, if I'm a dog, I'm a dog, but let the dogs have their due. I am hungry, and I just want that bread. And Jesus heals her daughter right there from a distance with just a word. And then he calls her faith great. She's actually the only person in Matthew's gospel whose faith gets called great. And it's more remarkable when you think about the word he usually uses for the disciples' faith, which is little. Well, we didn't read the rest of the chapter of Matthew, But what happens next, right after this incident, is like this living demonstration of what she asked for, leftover bread. Because Jesus goes all around this unclean region, and he touches and heals and sets free all these Gentile people. And then he goes on this hillside, and he feeds 4,000 Gentile people bread. 
Just like a chapter earlier in Matthew, he fed 5,000 Jewish people bread. Jesus shows that the woman was onto something. God is doing something unexpected. He is offering the children's bread to all the people. And that division between dogs and children is just going away. Everyone that's hungry gets invited to this table. And the way that this woman got in on this thing that God was doing was through asking, through loudly and desperately and annoyingly and uncleanly asking again and again and again. And it was in this asking, this back and forthing with Jesus, that he healed her daughter and that he grew her faith that he brought her into this deeper understanding about who she was, what her place was in God's story, in God's family. It's this picture of being and becoming, like I talked about earlier. And I think all of this has a few practical implications for how we pray, how we ask. So I have just four suggestions for us today. First, that we don't need perfect motives before we pray. We don't need to be clean before we ask. We don't need to reach a certain level of unselfishness or purity before God is going to listen to us. Just ask anyway. It's by asking that we come into his presence, that we bring all of those motives into his presence, and he can deal with them. He can heal them. He can change them. So we just ask. And second, we don't need fancy words. Prayer is not a performance. It's not for people who are good at talking. We can be annoying. We can say more bird, like a child. And in fact, if you have trouble coming up with words to pray, and I know I often do, we have scripture. We can just pray the scripture. And in particular, we have the book of Psalms. It is a book of prayers that Jesus prayed. And so we can just open it up and pray our way through a psalm and apply it to anything that we want to ask God about, knowing that we are praying these prayers Jesus prayed with Jesus. It's this really intimate and connected way to pray, and it also gives us those words. Third, we don't need to understand the will of God before we ask him something. This woman was a Gentile. She couldn't have known anything about what God was up to in the world. But Jesus gets her there through asking. We learn about his will through the asking and through the receiving his yes or no or his wait and then asking again and again. That asking is what puts us in constant contact with God. That's where he can loosen our grip on stuff that is not his will. He can grow our longing for things that are his will. It's also where he can take care of us when we are disappointed and bitter and grieving because we're not getting what we want. And then finally, we can pray about what we actually care about, like hungry people asking for bread. You know, my son asked for a bird This woman asked for her daughter's healing. God cares about what we care about. And when we ask him for it, we're bringing that caring part of ourself to him. 
We're letting him into that space. We're giving him access, and he can grow it. He can enlarge what we care about. He can grow our concern for things outside of our immediate field of vision. We can start by asking for daily bread, but he's not going to leave us there. He's going to take us all the way to praying for his kingdom come. So this week, I just want to invite you to try some really simple, childlike asking. And I have a very specific way that I will invite you to do that, which is to join us for midday prayer. We pray at noon every Tuesday and Thursday for 15 minutes, like tops. You don't need fancy words because we use the prayer book. The words are given to us. And sometimes we ask for big things because there are big things happening in our world. And sometimes we ask for small things because we all have a lot of small things happening in our worlds. It's been such a helpful habit for me throughout this pandemic to just take those 15 minutes and to just be God's child and to ask. And so I would invite you to join us. And if you can't, if that's not your lunch hour or you, know, you don't want to be on Zoom in the middle of the day, just in the quietness of your home, in your car, as you're walking, just ask. Just be God's child. We're going to take a minute of silence, and then we'll sing together. I would invite you to use this time to just enjoy being a kid, not having to be the parent, not having to bear the burdens, just asking God for what you need.